0: there's always something left to learn. And while we can't ever hope to know everything, we can always hope to get a little closer. This is the Asymptotic Pod. I want to tell a story that makes sense. I'm a crafter. I make things with my hands. There's something about the work that has always soothed me. The moment when I look back over what I've done and I pull the last string taut and it all just perfectly falls into place. All of the moments along the way where i felt like what I'm doing just doesn't make sense or I'm doing something wrong, it just falls away. Everything just comes together. It's easy to want the same thing for the rest of my life to want all of the, the missteps and the mistakes that I've made, all of the things that I may perceive as wasted time to just have been things that are plot beats, are our, our story beats that needed to happen in order to build this wonderful tapestry. I want things to fall into line. I want things to flow. I want everything to have been for a purpose. There's a Hebrew term that refers to the act of stringing together seemingly disparate pieces of scripture to create some greater message. Uh, this word, charaz, also translates to uh, stringing pearls. I think my desire to tell stories came from a, a very young age. Whenever I was a kid, my dad would help set me to sleep by telling me stories, or by both of us telling stories. We would make up a story together every night, uh, usually with the same character, who I believe was named Sarah the Dolphin, and we created an elaborate world together. It spanned several years of my life of just us crafting this story together. Uh, Oh my god. uh. So, speak of the devil and he will give you a phone call, it turns out. Uh, That was my dad trying to give me a call. But... I think that actually illustrates my my more recent perspective on storytelling and composition in kind of a fun way. I feel like prior to, you know, my first semester in grad school, I had this obsession with things lining up just right and uh, that carried over into my perspective on you know, storytelling and narratives, uh, composition, essays, um, assignments for class, I just wanted things to just go right. But I feel like through some of my readings in the past, gosh, what, 4 or 5 months, uh, it's, it's changed my perspective in some more freeing sort of ways. And it's also really interesting seeing how that lines up with some of my interests as well. So carrying on my fascination with stories from a young age, in my older years, <laughs> I, I became really uh, enamored with uh, storytelling games like D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, and other like tabletop role-playing games. I'm really intrigued by how everybody kind of gets a hand on the ball in the, the storytelling of it all. In in more recent editions, uh, 5th edition specifically, which is the edition I've always been using, typically if you see shows that are like D&D actual play shows, whether that be podcasts or streams, that kind of stuff, uh, they're playing with 5th edition because it's made, sorry I'm nerding out right now, but um, that rule system is made with storytelling in mind. It's very improvisational, role play driven, narratively driven whereas earlier editions such as you know third edition, fourth edition, they were made to be more or less war games. They were based on strategy and tactics. In a lot of the shows that I I love, I'm drawn in by the moments where things just go perfectly, right? All of the, the mechanics and the dice rolls, all of these little elements left to chance, they just perfectly line up, the stars align and It's an amazing story, uh, partially because there's so much risk involved. But I think that what, you know, the combination, the intersection of my interest in D&D and my research interest in, in this class have brought to me is the realization that in order for some stories to go right, in order for those moments to be so impactful, they come with the risk of it going wrong and the reality of it going wrong sometimes. There are so many moments where... You know, the the plot beat just falls a little flat. But that doesn't detract necessarily from the story. It's just another moment. Uh, it feels more true to life that way, I guess. It's It's placing less of an unrealistic expectation, especially for, you know, these stories that are improvisational, that are collaboratively made. There's a lot more moving parts in these sort of stories. They're much more ephemeral, and they're much more unpredictable. It's terrifying, honestly, but it's also very exciting. This is something that's drawn me to the study of improvisational pedagogy. It's very difficult because in the same way that so much has changed between 4th and 5th edition of D&D, so much has changed between different styles of teaching, different generations of teaching as well, with the allocation of power or or authority in these sort of spaces, whether it be, you know, at the, the gaming table or in the classroom. I've noticed that there are roughly two kinds of DMs, or dungeon masters, the people who facilitate games. Some DMs are very hard on rules. They often develop an antagonistic relationship with their players, as though the players are trying to get away with something, subvert the rules somehow, and it's the DM's job to keep everybody in check, keep everyone in line. On the other hand, we have what are playfully called the rule of cool DMs, people who, you know, play a little more loosely. Who approach games as though the players and the DMs are on the same side, on the side of telling a a good story. In this DM style, DMs are often more lax about rules. Uh, Rules are seen as guidelines, uh, something that they can bend as they see fit. Often I see more rules lawyer, the name for more rules centered or strict DMs. Uh, Rules lawyer DMs are often kind of dismissive of, of the more lax DM style, saying that you know, without adhering to the rules as, as strongly, players won't respect the DM's authority, players won't take the game as seriously, those sort of critiques. I think this is really similar to what we see with older styles of teaching, specifically with the departure from the banking method, as Free Air talks about. In this structure, there's the prioritization of the authority of the teacher, and this is often coinciding with, I believe, a level of insecurity on the teacher's part. They need to have control over the classroom, and to see any of that control, to hand over the reins, as it were, is to risk opening the classroom up to just chaos, anarchy. On the other hand, we have improvisational pedagogy, for example, that views the teacher as more of a facilitator than an instructor. This isn't to say that both rule of cool DMs and improvisational uh, educators, Neither one of these people are promoting anarchy within their their environments. Largely because improv doesn't work in anarchy. Improv only works in D&D, tabletop, role-playing games. These things only work with frameworks, with structures, with scaffolding. It's not that there are no rules. It's just that the rules are only there to help facilitate collaborative creation. Whatever that might look like. Be completely transparent, I don't find myself drawn to improvisational pedagogy because it's something that comes naturally to me. As I've said before, I want things to make sense. I want everything to line up correctly. Improvisational pedagogy terrifies me. It it causes me a lot of anxiety. It's, it's unsteadying. It's destabilizing. I don't find myself drawn to it because I find it easy. I find myself drawn to it because I find it incredibly difficult. Between the two types of DMs that I discussed earlier, I find myself more often than not being the rules-centered one rather than rules-lax one. Uh, I just think that partially because I think that the mechanics of D&D are interesting and fun and cool, but also because I like having certainty, I like having structure. And letting go of that in some way can be frightening. I think it's good to recognize the fact that things that challenge us and scare us can be edifying in some way, but it doesn't change the fact that they can be terrifying. I mean, after all, we challenge our students to, you know, stretch themselves, try to complete assignments to do projects that they feel like they maybe can't do. And in fact, we tell them that these projects are what will help them grow. The same holds true for our own learning, because we never really stop learning, even as we are teaching, and perhaps we learn more when we do teach, even. But in that learning comes discomfort. It's good to recognize that, rather than pretending that it doesn't exist. I'm reminded by this discussion of discomfort, of the work of Jacques Derrida. Uh, This is someone I studied when I was an undergrad, I believe I was like 20 years old, and I was in a contemporary literary theory class that I really had no idea what it was going to involve. But in this class, taught so brilliantly by Miko Tukinen, one of my all-time favorite professors, I learned about the work of Derrida, and it was terrifying to me, specifically his concept of misreadings, the idea that there is no correct or perfect reading, and in fact, there's always going to be a gap in our communication, some sort of miscommunication that we enact. I'm really drawn to this idea now, (laughs) I wasn't so much whenever I first heard it, but now I'm very drawn to it, because I really want to embrace the idea of pluralism in my studies and in my teachings. I want to give weight to what it is that my students are saying. I want to allow themselves to give that weight to what they're saying. Sometimes I can't really tell whether it was more the scholar or if it was the teacher that caused me to feel like this. Dr. Toukanen was a huge proponent of discussion in his classes, and would always start his response to whatever it was that we would say in class with, hmm, interesting. Well, I wonder... and then he would make some sort of comparison or connection to the text that we hadn't really thought of before it would challenge us it would challenge our ideas but it would never disregard them in fact it would incorporate them even if we were giving a shot in the dark he would he would act as though he would speak as though what we were saying held merit and it encouraged us to believe that about our own work this inquiry based pedagogy is something that i find really impactful, really worthwhile. That paired with the idea of engaged pedagogy which bell hooks talks about in her book that I recently had the chance to read, Teaching to Transgress. Uh, these two pedagogies held next to each other, engagement and inquiry, I find really impactful. The idea that we learn from each other and we have a duty to one another not just as students and teachers, but as people to Be curious and and be interested in one another. Tuchanan would always encourage us to interrogate the text, to question it, to communicate with it, to have dialogue with it, but never to reach an understanding. He said, once we reach an understanding, we render a text dead. In conversations that we have in life, when we say to someone, I understand you. That is the the marker to the end of a conversation. When you understand something, what else is there left to discuss? And so he always challenged us to come up with interpretations and to view them as, as readings of a text rather than complete conclusions. I found myself carrying this idea into the rest of my studies and the rest of my life. As much as I've learned from my years in academia, I do feel like one of the largest takeaways that I've ever really had is not so much about scholars or movements, but rather about modes of thinking, and specifically helping me to deconstruct the certainty that I feel like I need to have. I've learned how to act with more grace towards myself and what I might bring to the table. It's, it's definitely let me be more curious and, and more outspoken in a lot of things. While it may, in some ways, diminish my, my confidence uh, at first glance, it's also allowing me to remain open to possibility and opportunity. And that's something that I want to take with me into teaching or whatever my life might hold for me. I want to be someone who encourages others to be open to possibilities. The Asymptotic Pod is brought to you this week by Tiny Microphones, my cat Jasper, and Panera Bread's Green Tea. Special thanks to Poddington Bear for the use of their song Blossoming, which can be found at freemusicarchive.org.